Good afternoon. This is Life Transitions. I'm Carrie Crosby here with you this afternoon. First Source Bank is proud to support Life Transitions. We know that the only constant in life is change. Whatever stage in life you are, contact us to learn how to help make the most of it. First Source Bank, member FDIC. This afternoon, I am here with Nick Thomas from Home Instead Senior Care. And for those of you who aren't familiar with that agency, I absolutely recommend that you become familiar with it. We'll talk a lot about it today. Nick will give us some ideas about how long they've been in the area. I've worked in the area almost 20 years, and Home Instead has been here for the majority of that time that I've worked in the area. So I'm delighted to have the opportunity to talk with Nick, and I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself and give a little background on Home instead. Well, hello, WNIL listeners, and thank you for having me out. Uh, This is a real treat and a pleasure to be here. Home Instead has been here for quite some time. We've been a bit of a staple in the Michiana area. Uh, We strive to be a trusted source for senior care in Michiana. Uh, We accomplish this by providing personalized care services, support, and education to the community. And uh, yes, Gary, as you said, we've been here for about 18 years. Our home base is kind of out of Mishawaka, but we serve the greater Michiana area. Elkhart County, St. Joseph County, and Southwest Michigan are kind of our focal points. Fantastic. And I know that you guys have been in the area a little bit. Do you want to talk a little bit about the basis of Home Instead in this area? Yeah, really. It started about 25 years ago. Actually, we just celebrated 25 years as a Home Instead franchise. The owners were Paul and Lori Hogan, who 25 years ago really had some trouble finding home care services for their own grandmother. There just wasn't the services available that there are today back 25 years ago. So they started Home Instead Senior Care for their own grandmother and cared for her right in her own home. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Omaha, Nebraska, for uh, until she was over 100 years old. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. After that, you know, in the span of 25 years, Home Instead really grew to be an international organization. Uh, so we touch 15 countries today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have 1,200 unique locations throughout uh, all of those countries. And uh, again, we're we're uh, we're just pleased to have our our piece of the puzzle here and helping the seniors in our area uh, in the St. Joseph, Elkhart, and Southwest Michigan areas. In the Southwest Michigan area is a bit new because as we were talking earlier kind of the flagship center was in Mishawaka to begin with and then you extended into Elkhart and Goshen and now up in this area. So for those who aren't aware of Home Instead Senior Care or maybe heard of it from relatives or loved ones that were in the South Bend Mishawaka area, they are now up here servicing happily all the folks that are up here. Why don't you give us a little background about what Home Instead Senior Care does? Yeah, so Home Instead Senior Care really is, uh, we're striving to enhance the lives of aging adults and their families. And we do that when there is a conscious decision when somebody says, you know what, I've lived in my own home for 50 years. I'm aging in place at this point, And, you know, sometimes I just can't do this on my own. Mm-hmm. And so we'll come in and we are non-medical in nature. So what that really means is we're not physical therapists or occupational mm-hmm. therapists uh, or wound care managers. Mm-hmm. But we'll come into the home and send a caregiver to do certain tasks to help that senior age in place comfortably with dignity. Mm-hmm. So some of those things can be just helping with a shower or making a meal um, mm-hmm. or doing laundry services or keeping up the household chores uh, mm-hmm. when they're no longer able to maybe ambulate as often as they should or mm-hmm. even transportation services when they're, you know, perhaps they're not able to see as well as they could before and still have obligations to get to the doctor, to the grocery store, mm-hmm. to run simple errands on a daily basis. 
our caregivers will come in and provide those services on a regular basis. It can be, you know, certainly helpful to, to many people in our area. Absolutely. And I think that the one thing that I definitely want to point to and, and make sure that we clarify, because some folks don't really know that there's a difference between non-medical and medical assistance. Yeah. And so obviously, you know, non-medical would be companionate type of cares that you could give to folks in the home. Now, is there a difference between how much you can do physically with that person, like how much you can have hands on them? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, there is the, you touched on the skilled side of things or the medical side of things. Mm -hmm. And so we aren't going to put together a regimen to help somebody after a knee surgery or something Mm -hmm. to that effect, uh, where they're going to have skilled, trained Mm -hmm. physicians telling them about a regimen that they should be following at home and both in a facility or having skilled care come to their home. Mm -hmm. But we can help with like I said, you know, you asked about specifically, is there a touch point? Mm-hmm. Um, so we help with personal cares. If there's bathing assistance being needed, mm-hmm. uh, that is something that we can do. Mm-hmm. And our training that our folks go through uh, is very person-centered. So, you know, if it's bathing or incontinence assistance, mm-hmm. those are types of things that we can help with. Okay. But when it comes to physical therapy or, mm-hmm. or things of that nature, that's kind of where we draw the line with that. Right. And I think, too, when you start talking about medications and the different things, like I know you guys can prompt, you can do medication reminders. But when it comes to actually physically handling the medication, it kind of gets to the point where maybe that's a little too much if that's what is is needed. And I know that we look to the family oftentimes to do some of those things in place of an agency who probably shouldn't be doing that. You know, I every time that I've worked with Home Instead Senior Care, they've been great about working with a family to try and see, are you able to provide anything? If the answer is no, for whatever reason, fantastic. Let us know what we can help with. But then again, if the family is willing to do some pieces of it, of course, you can just fill in the gaps where they're not able to. So that works, it, you know, can be such a partner for families. I agree, Carrie, and I think you would agree also that, you know, sometimes aging in place, it really does take a village. And so mm-hmm. when you're talking about an aging senior staying in their home, even with some possible ailments that they might be experiencing, they have family to rely on. Mm-hmm. A lot of them do. Some of them do not. Right. But they have other services that are coming in and out of the home. They may have home instead or a service like ours coming mm-hmm. into the home on a regular basis, too. And what Home Instead will do is coordinate care with all those people, whether mm-hmm. it be the family or the other resources coming in, and really work out a plan that's beneficial to the individual trying to age in place. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the uh, pill administration or, or management. Mm-hmm. And so we can set up a pill box for them and mm-hmm. make sure that the right pills are in the right section at the right time. But where we draw the line is actual administration Correct. of that medication. Mm-hmm. That takes a more skilled person to, to know when and how and, and how to dose that uh, mm-hmm. those types of things. And so... Uh, we can be a support system, but you know there are some other people that would be involved in that process, absolutely. And I think that that's an important factor, too. Now, another question, um, many times agencies like yours are licensed to be in the home, so are you licensed in the area? And- yeah, licensing is very important, and I think in particular because there is such a need in this area, just in general, not, not only across the globe, really, but I mean right here in Michiana, uh, we have such a big need for this. And so what that what actually happens is, you know, people start breaking off and, and trying to do this kind of solo and mm-hmm. outside of an agency. And, and that's great, and I think there are valuable resources out there. But one thing that an agency 
uh, does have going for it and for the people that it serves is that we are all licensed, bonded, mm-hmm. insured. Mm-hmm. Our licensure is uh, looked after by a regulatory official and mm-hmm. authority. Um, and so when you when you employ our services, it really means that you have a system from A to Z, somebody looking out for your scheduling needs, managing the entire process, managing the employees and the caregivers coming mm-hmm. out to the home, mm-hmm. and really just looking out for the best care possible uh, and having a regulatory effect on that as well. Correct. You know, so that there's an outside source that's checking to make sure that you guys are doing what you're supposed to be doing, which, you know, sometimes when you've got a situation like that and you've got to answer to somebody, you uh, pay a little bit more attention to detail, I Mm -hmm. think, and make sure that you're doing what it is that you should be doing. The other thing that I wanted to mention was you know, we can talk a little bit about the respite services that you might be able to provide. So when we're talking about companionate care and somebody maybe coming in and sitting with someone, might that include someone who has Alzheimer's or dementia and you would be able to kind of cover some time that their caregiver could then go out and go to doctor's appointments or grocery shopping, any of those types of things? It certainly would. And Alzheimer's and dementia in general is just on the rise, not only here in our community, but across the country. Uh, We're seeing more and more people uh, being diagnosed with this uh, with this disease mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. the projections from the Alzheimer and dementia mm-hmm. associations just anticipate that number rising and so it is something that we see on a regular basis uh, we have a spe- uh, very specific training program that addresses how to manage and be working with somebody who is experiencing and living with Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm-hmm. But also, if they have a primary caregiver that is a family member, that is so time-consuming. Their heart is in the right place. They are caregivers for a reason, and, and they're there to provide that support for their loved one. Right. But they need to take care of themselves, too. Caregivers can get burnt out, and, and uh, that's where Home Instead and, and its staff can come in and, and be a relief system for the primary caregiver in the home as well. So if it's going on vacation, or just needing a break, as you mentioned, or taking care of their own health. That's where Home Instead is available. Uh, Our services are available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. So there's really no time restraint on how long we can be there. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can work through that, uh, work out a care plan that is to to work with any family member uh, or the ones that they're caring for. You know, I heard a statistic a couple of weeks ago that really stuck with me, and I do presentations on uh, Dementia 101 basically myself, and the most shocking thing that I read was that every 67 seconds, an individual in the United States develops Alzheimer's disease, and that's according to the uh, National Alzheimer's Association, and it's this country's sixth leading cause of death. So when we talk about, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia practically, for lack of a better way to kind of describe the fact that Alzheimer's is is a form of dementia and therefore the largest form of dementia. Every 67 seconds, someone is diagnosed with that. And that's kind of a staggering statistic. That's eye-opening. And I think it should be shared uh, more publicly than it even is today. The more attention that can be brought to this subject matter, certainly there can be some resources and people that are really specialized in this disease to yes. help find solutions and help for these people experiencing this disease. But it is important to note that one of the types of things that a companion care can do is to come in while a loved one is needing to get to appointments and things like that. So, you know, we tend to think sometimes about these services as being towards a person who needs their own personal help in the home, you know, with showering and different things like that. But also consider a service like this if you are a caregiver of someone with dementia type of situation and if you need to get out and and need a couple of hours a week, that certainly can be something you can contact this agency about. So we wanted to talk to something, a very kind of 
Uh, let's see. As we were walking in the radio station today, we realized that it's heat index of around 90 some odd degrees <laughs> out there today, which is not necessarily something I think any of us are looking forward to anymore now that we're into September. But we do need to start talking about influenza. And so today, Nick has brought along some information for us to talk to about that. And we'll go ahead and get into the meat of that. So if I was a 75 year old widower with a lot of health problems, I'm concerned about getting the flu. And since I live alone and have no help, what can you recommend? Well, Carrie, the flu season can hit uh, any of us at any time really hard, but it seems to be that flu season really hits our seniors hard as well. And while the flu can get anyone down, older adults may be particularly vulnerable to the effects of these viruses, uh, which could in turn uh, turn deadly very fast. If you're a senior or a caregiver to an older loved one, be sure you're doing all that you can to protect against the flu. And really what, uh, what I would suggest here is that you contact your doctor, go to the doctor's office, discuss whether or not you should have the flu shot. If you're mm-hmm. feeling any of the symptoms like a fever, a cough, a sore throat, you know, the runny or stuffy nose, body aches, headaches, chills, fatigues, sometimes you aren't going to feel that fever with the flu, though, either. Mm-hmm. If you feel any of that coming on, though, make sure that uh, you're, you're reaching out to your doctor, you know, being prepared to get the flu vaccination. Mm-hmm. and uh, talking with your healthcare professional about it. So when I go to the doctor and I have a concern about flu, I think, you know, the one thing most of us know is kind of the differentiating symptom of flu is the chills. You know, I think we hear that most often that that kind of was one of the more common symptoms that people indicate along with, you know, kind of cold symptoms. But the difference is you get those chills and those body aches, and that tends to be something that people focus on, I think, a little bit more to think, well, maybe this just isn't a cold, maybe it's a little bit more. So when you go in to the office, they will provide a flu test that they will give you, and that should give you the definitive answer on the yes or no if you have the flu. So what what should I do if I get just sick? Well, if you get sick uh, with flu-like symptoms this flu season, uh, you should stay at home and avoid contact with other people, except to get that medical advice and that medical care. There's sickness all around us, so if we can avoid spreading that at all costs, you know, that would be something that I would recommend, staying indoors. Some people are more likely to get the flu complications, and, and again, you should talk to your healthcare provider about whether you need to be examined if you get the flu symptoms this season. So who would be at higher risk of developing the flu-related complications? And typically, it's going to be children that are younger than five, but especially children that are two years old, uh, adults 65 years of age and older, and of course, pregnant women. And the people who have what types of illnesses may also be at a higher risk? Uh, the people that are at higher risk are, are those that, uh, that have asthma, that have neurological conditions, including disorders of the brain, the spinal cord, a peripheral nerve and muscles such as the cerebral palsy, epilepsy, seizure disorders, stroke, intellectual disability, and uh, moderate to severe development delay, muscular dystrophy, or spinal cord injury. Okay, so obviously when we're talking about neurological and neurodevelopmental conditions and all those that occur, they might be at a greater risk of it. Who else? Um, they certainly could. And, and one thing that, uh, that we see a lot of is people in, with kidney disorders or liver disorders, blood disorders. Those are all people that are going to be at a higher you know, level of receiving this if it's out there and spreading around. And obviously, those that have already some lung disorders, COPD, we mentioned asthma before, uh, cystic fibrosis, that's going to be 
pretty high risk as well, just based on the fact that, you know, when we get into flus, many times it gets into our lungs and causes lots of issues. So those with uh, chronic lung disease need to be careful as well. So how about some warning signs? Like what would be something, if we noticed it amongst ourselves or someone we were caring for, what would be concerning? Yeah, so especially in adults, you know, if you're having difficulty breathing or shortness of breath, that could be an indication that uh, you need to contact your doctor in any case, but it could be something as simple as the flu. You may have contracted the flu, uh, but certainly contact your doctor or health professional about that. Pain or pressure in the chest or abdomen, sudden dizziness, you know, confusion can be a, a sign of, of uh, contracting the flu, and then severe or persistent vomiting. Flu-like symptoms improve, but then return with fever and, and worse uh, with a cough. Those are some of the warning signs I would uh, mention. In children, it could be, you know, fast breathing or trouble breathing. You know, if they're not drinking enough fluids, and they, they typically do so, not waking up or not interacting, uh, mm-hmm. fever with rash, things of that nature. Yeah, all those things can be quite concerning. And I think that that tends to be the question that doctor's offices probably get ad nauseum every day is during flu season is, you know, am I sick enough to come in? What What is it that makes me feel like I have to come in? So why would you maybe take yourself to the emergency room if you were just a little bit sick? Or would you do that? Would you even go to the emergency room? If you're only a little sick, I would say no. The emergency room should really be used for people who are very sick. Uh, you should not go to the emergency room if you're only mildly ill. Uh, If you have the emergency warning signs of flu sickness, uh, you should go to the emergency room. If you get sick with flu symptoms and are high risk of flu complications or you are concerned about your illness, just again call your health care provider for advice. If you go to the emergency room and are not sick with the flu, you may catch it uh, from people who do have it if you're ending up in that emergency room. Mm-hmm. And I think that ends up being something we've seen over a rise over the last 20 years or so is unfortunately people are in a position where they don't have health insurance, they don't have anything to kind of keep preventative medicine working for them. And so unfortunately, the emergency room is the option for them at that point. Hopefully, when we're talking about seniors and they're over the age of 65, they're going to have their Medicare benefit and can kind of visit their doctor's offices and give them a call. As you said, talk to them about why is it that you should be receiving the flu virus? You know, there's usually other vaccinations that you can get along the same lines that would keep you even more protected throughout the year. So the best thing to do instead of wondering if you need to go to the ER, as you said, if the emergency symptoms are arising with the flu, please take yourself to the emergency room. If you have a concern about it or want to be diagnosed with it, you're just kind of miserable, but you're not in a chronic, you know, emergent state, then a phone call to your doctor, maybe a visit would be the best thing warranted for that time. Absolutely. And we hear a lot of people talk about the fact that there's all that that old misnomer out there about if I get the flu shot, then I'm going to get the flu. And there's been all kinds of evidence out there that has suggested that's not true. You know, it literally ends up being that you are already in contact with someone that had the flu. And so if you get your flu virus and you get the flu afterwards, the flu virus did not cause the flu. Having already been in contact with someone who had the flu and now you are developing the symptoms is what ended up happening. Yes. There are people out there that should not get the flu vaccine, which is why you need to discuss that with your doctor on if you are, you know, you have 
nothing that blocks you or prevents you from having the vaccine. But again, making sure that you are sitting with your doctor and having a discussion about this to make sure that you are in a position that it's appropriate for you to take the vaccine is the first step. And Nick, wouldn't it be fair to say that they could be taking those first steps this afternoon to be contacting doctor's offices about this? I think they could. And actually, uh, some of the doctors have even suggested getting that flu virus even sooner than, uh, you know, the fall or the traditional flu season. I've heard some uh, pharmacists actually talk about it recently, starting even in August is not too soon to get out there and get that mm-hmm. flu vaccine. Mm-hmm. They're stating that it uh, it will last the entire flu season. Okay. So, so even if you get it early, don't think it doesn't protect you through the entire season. That's absolutely right. If I'm already sick, so how long should I stay home? If I'm sick, you know the medications there, the the drugs uh, that your doctor may prescribe for treating both seasonal and the H1N1 antiviral drugs. These drugs can make you feel better faster and may also prevent serious complications during this flu season. But how long should I stay at home if I'm sick? Uh, the CDC recommends that you stay at home for at least 24 hours after your fever is gone except to get medical care or for other things you have to do and no one else can do for you. Uh, So your fever should be gone without the use of a fever-reducing medicine uh, such as Tylenol, and you should stay home from work, school, travel shopping, social events, or any public gatherings. And quite frankly, why would we ask people to do that? So they don't spread the virus. Absolutely. Yes. You know, I think we've all been in that situation before where we've been in an office and that one person who never refuses, you know, who always refuses to take a sick day and, and comes in no matter what, comes in coughing and hacking and everybody just wants to kind of keep their distance from that person because they all wish they had just stayed home instead of coming into the office. Schools have that typical rule now that you've got to be 24 hours fever free before you come back into school. And again, the simple reason that that is, is so that you are no longer contagious with the illness that you were diagnosed with. The 24 hours fever free, and I think it's worth repeating again, that you need to be fever free without the use of fever reducing medication. So someone can say, well, I took a Tylenol when I had my fever last night at midnight and I don't have a fever now, but yet you're still not fever free for 24 hours because either A, that medicine is what's keeping you from being fever free or B, it's still not 24 hours from the last time you had a fever. Yeah, I think what we're really saying here is just err on the side of caution, uh, ultimately. You don't want to impact the people you work with, the people that you're seeing on a regular basis, the people that are either caring for you or that you are caring for. So just uh, err on the side of caution. Do everything that you can to get yourself better, get yourself well, and uh, not be impacting others as well. And if we're in a situation where we have you know, home instead senior care workers coming in and a person is sick, what are the types of things that we could do to protect ourselves from maybe being sick when we don't really have the choice of being around someone? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the main thing is just to stay away from others as much as possible to keep them from making them sick. Um, if you must leave home, for example, to get medical care, wear a face mask. That's one thing that we could do is just have a face uh, mask on hand if you have one or cover coughs and sneezes with the tissue and then wash your hands often you know to keep this uh, from spreading the flu to others if you need assistance you know around the home to keep your strength up during the winter the cold flu season consider contacting the local home instead senior care office the organization really can help seniors by providing support for a variety of non-medical needs we've talked about some of those already but such as companionship meal preparation light housekeeping 
you know, medication reminders, transportation, errands and shopping, we can do a lot of that legwork for you. And I think that, you know, the thing that ends up concerning most people is when you are a caregiver of a person with the flu, you you mentioned a few of these things that you as a person can do to not spread the disease, but as a caregiver, you could also do these things. Absolutely. Obviously, universal precautions is huge, no matter what you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, better safe than sorry, you know, wear your gloves in a situation where someone has an infection or an illness, you know, wearing a face mask might be necessary. If we're caring for a patient in their home and that patient is comfortable wearing a face mask, you know, them be, them keeping a face mask on would obviously keep the spread of germs away. The light housekeeping, obviously, if someone's, you know, got a flu, then Home Instead's going to be able to come in and they're going to be able to clean up and make sure that everything, you know, the surfaces and all of that stuff are really nice and clean and can hopefully prevent the spread Absolutely. of that yeah. illness even more. I think that when we talk about some of the companionate care, people kind of think that this person's just going to come in and all they're going to do is they're going to sit on their phone and they're just going to watch my TV. And that's not necessarily what some would be looking to do, because if we're going to be doing things like light housekeeping, maybe making the bed, there's things that these people will be doing at that time of the shift that they're at your home. Absolutely. And, and you're right. We hear stories like that all the time. Hopefully none of them are about Home Instead Senior Care, mm-hmm. because what we really try to strive to do is we'll actually come out and do a, a free, no you know, no obligation consultation with anybody interested in these services. And we'll really sit down with the client, the person who needs the services, mm-hmm. the family members, any healthcare professionals that might, might want to be a part of that as well, and truly figure out what is the goal mm-hmm. uh, of having home instead or a caregiver out to your home. And so we'll put together a plan of action with particular tasks. And, and so every time somebody comes out to the house, while that might change from time to time, I mean, they know generally speaking, what they're expected to do in that home. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, we have uh, a bit like a case manager uh, within our staff that will oversee that entire interaction uh, that makes sure that that caregiver is, you know, living up to the expectation of of the client, of the Mm -hmm. family, of the healthcare professionals involved in that individual's life. So... Uh, my best advice would be to, you know, in that care consultation, to go ahead and, and make a list or, or start thinking at least of the things that you would want somebody to come out and do. Mm-hmm. Have that available in the home so when that person is scheduled to arrive at your home, they know exactly what, what they're supposed to do, what they can do, what you don't want them to do. Correct. Um, and that's how we can better serve you uh, in every And instance. everyone that enters the home obviously has a criminal background check and is... They do. Okay. Yeah, it's part of our licensing uh, requirements. So the criminal background check is, is mandatory. Everybody goes through one because we provide transportation services. Mm-hmm. Even a misdemeanor uh, type of a violation could disqualify some of our folks from working with, with us because of our insurance and liability. Fantastic. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear that because yeah. I think people need to know that, you know, again, I think another concern is bringing a stranger into the home. And, yeah, and while they're a stranger, you hope at some point they develop a relationship and that person can feel comfortable having help in their home. But ultimately it comes down to, you know, I'm thinking about taking care of my own mother or me someday when I need that care. What kind of a person would I want coming in to care for me? Exactly. All right. Thank you so much, Nick. And Home Instead Senior Care again, brought to you by First Source Bank. Whether you're starting a new job, starting a family, or deciding how to spend your retirement years, contact a life transition specialist to help you. First Source Bank, member FDIC.